please don't assume that when ambulance crews go on strike, we're doing we're doing it with a happy heart. Um, and please don't think that any decisions that any of us have made have been made on a whim. Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this episode, I'm speaking with Carl Betts on the UK NHS National Ambulance Strikes. So what I want to do in the episode is examine the recent strikes and pay freeze that frontline paramedics have been experiencing. So this is also in the background of an increased cost of living, operational pressures across the emergency care system, and some fundamental issues uh, across the hospital network. So what I wanted to do is dig into Carl's recent reflections of the issue and also the sense of community within the current strikes. What we also wanted to do is examine how this strike is different to others and indeed how the climate of the NHS is vastly different to that seen before. So Carl Betts is no stranger to the World Extreme Medicine podcast and he's featured on previous episodes around critical analysis and mental health and reflecting on practice on the front line. So he's been a paramedic for over 10 years and currently works within quality improvement. So he's also written this recent blog on his reflections on the UK strike action and the sense of unity and the multifactorial climate pressures and changes that paramedics work under within the UK. So welcome to the podcast, Carl. Hey, Owen, how are you doing? Good to be back. Good to uh, good to see you. So firstly, Carl, if you could just maybe unpack the recent circumstances for those that might not be aware. Um, yeah, so w- within within the ambulance sector as a whole in the in the UK, um, we've been at a state of significant pressure for for a long time now. I mean, it started it started building before COVID, and then COVID came along and obviously added a lot of extra pressure. And then post COVID, for whatever reason, I don't think anybody really knows specifically um, why, but fundamentally the the, the the multiple well, multifaceted system of the NHS in the UK is that uh, is really stretched in every avenue at the moment, um, and the ambulance sector's feeling that, and we're feeling it for a number of reasons, really, not just because of the the, the pay concerns, um, but the actual whole system that we work to is struggling, um, and with them struggles, then you just get increased stress, increased problems with staff welfare, increased problems with morale. Um, and then on top of that, with the cost of living things, that just doesn't help either. Um, so it's not just a simple issue that can be sorted by the click of a finger. Uh, this is a an issue that's been rumbling away in the background for a long time now. And I think it's now got to a point, not just with the ambulance sector, but with the the nurses and with many other uh, health health sectors, that we've come to a point now where something needs to give and something needs to change. And how that's going to happen, well, we'll wait and see in the future. But um, that's how this has really come about. So, Carl, how is this different to other strike actions that have occurred in the UK? So, we saw—I believe—we saw strike actions in the sort of late twenty teens uh, within sort of UK ambulance services. How how is this different? From, from from my understanding and from my sort of experience, I can always remember sort of strike action being. Um, 
an issue around the organisation that you're potentially working for. So therefore, the strike is 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 against that organisation. Whereas the difficulty with this strike uh, that, that we're currently undergoing is that this isn't about the frontline crews and the and and, and our other um, colleagues within the organisation having a problem with the organisation we work for. This is everybody nationally who's voted for it um, to actually stand in a unified fashion um, to try and persuade the government and other political um, political arenas that things need to happen, uh, both financially, potentially, and um, systematically. So, Carl, just more of a personal question, really, around sort of your personal lineage with the NHS within your family. Um, I understand it runs deep for you. Could you maybe unpack for listeners um, your sort of personal and or family history with the NHS? Yeah, so so like vast majority of people in the UK um, who were born over here, I was born in an NHS hospital. Um, my mother was a nurse in that hospital uh, and she was a nurse until that hospital closed. Um, and then when she retired, she was a nurse for 30 years. Um, at that time, before she retired, I was um, I was training to be a paramedic. Um, so our NHS, our NHS lives have sort of crossed really. And I've never known, I've never not known the NHS in my life um, because it's always been a part of it. Christmases were always a part of it because mum might be at work in theatre. Um, so with every, you know, frontline NHS worker, um, Christmases and New Year's and birthdays, all of the things that you potentially miss. I grew up potentially missing with mum. Um, and But I also saw that the NHS give my mother an amazing career. It gave us as a family a good, stable um uh, stable income uh, at the end of every month um, and it was a really really worthwhile job that I saw was a worthwhile job and it's been embedded in me that working in the NHS is a real privilege um, and I saw how much my mother enjoyed it for the 30 years that she was there um, and I still love working for the NHS now it's not that I don't love working for the NHS because I do um, but there is systematic problems that have now come to come to the fore, really. Uh, and now they can't just be ignored. Uh, they can't just be a quick win because um, it's big systematic issues that need to be looked at. So talking about those systematic issues for a second, I, I guess, well, I guess my first question is sort of if you could speak to the sense of unity on, on the picket line, Carl, and sort of how it's been from your personal frictions. And then I guess as an adjoining question to that, if we could just maybe unpack some of these systematic issues, because like you said before, it is multifactorial and there is multiple things at play causing these very unique pressures. But maybe if you could just speak to the sort of sense of unity you, you, you've experienced and then and then maybe unpack these uh, these pressures. Yeah, so the, the strike that, that happened the other week, um, with the current pressures that frontline staff are under, and I'm, I'm no longer frontline operational all of the time. Um, I, I, I work within a within a service sector now. Um, 
but I am still a registered a registered paramedic. Um, we as a as a cohort very very rarely get to see each other. We very rarely get to sit down and have a cup of tea with each other. We very rarely now get to you know have that healthy downtime where we just chat about jobs in a in a nice friendly way around the crew room. Um, and actually, one thing that I noticed on the strike day was that that unity of a group of friends who don't get to see each other really anymore, who did get to see each other for a few hours, um, all there with a with a common purpose. But more importantly, none of us really wanting to be there at the same time. Um, because I, I think I think some people may think that choosing to go on strike is the easiest decision to make. And actually quite a lot of us have had sleepless nights thinking about should we go on strike or should we not go on strike and there is another strike coming up in a couple of weeks time that I'm having a massive moral quandary a personal moral quandary where I'm having to do some really deep soul searching thinking as to whether I am going to strike because I'm not sure whether on the second strike, I'm not sure whether I, I whether whether I morally feel like I can, even though I think we need to. And it isn't just a black and white, right? Everybody out, happy days. You know, we're all on strike because we all understand there's consequences to these decisions that we're making, and these consequences are our patients potentially. Now, we're not under any illusion that currently the entire NHS system will be causing some potential harm to some of our patients just because of the pressures that everybody in every sector is under. But we don't know any additional harm that going on strike may cause. But then if we don't go on strike and nobody listens to the workforce, then are any changes going to make? And if changes don't make, well, then we are going to carry on potentially harming patients because the entire system is starting to get broken now um like really broken um so yes there's a lot of unity but there's also a lot of soul searching because none of us really want to do this i certainly don't want to do it and that's why i'm saying i'm in a massive moral quandary about the the, the strike that will be happening in a few weeks time so, Colin, let's do a deep dive into the actual issues on the front end, because, you know, in in your blog, you, you, you speak about sort of the deficit in patient care from a from a very much a multifactorial perspective, you know, not having the resources released from hospital to get to the patients on the floor or indeed those waiting for a hospital, uh, a ambulance with a stroke or otherwise. But that's only one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Could you could you maybe just unpack the 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 jigsaw puzzle? Yeah, this is the, the this is the most complex complex part of the whole systematic problem at the moment. In the fact that every system and every process that we work with within the NHS either hasn't adapted at pace to an evolving situation or hasn't had the ability to gain the um, 
correct level of funding needed or the correct level of resource needed to to keep pace with the evolving situation um and then what happens is is there's knock-on effects to another area of the system and this is what we're finding that nobody nobody in any system is purposely trying to cause problems what they're doing is their absolute best with the systems that they're currently available to work with. Now, if they're doing their absolute best, that's all we can ask. But if the system is broken and we don't fix the system, then nobody is going to gain any benefit from it, especially the patient. Now, if we're stuck at a hospital because we can't hand over, yes, that is the hospital's issue. But actually, if you do the root cause analysis as to, well, okay, why can't ambulances get into the hospital? Well, okay, there's a load of people need to be discharged, but there's no social services beds available, so we can't discharge them. So if you can't discharge them, we can't get any flow through the hospital. And I think the actual community part of the NHS is the absolute key piece of the puzzle with these problems. and. I think the, the 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 political institutions need to put a huge amount of effort into um, letting these teams know how important they are and how critical they are to the NHS actually functioning. And by that, I mean resourcing them properly, paying them properly, um, allowing them to change the processes to um to 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 fit modern day standards and modern day times um and allow everything to to embed so it's one linear it's it's, it's one single um it's one single flow instead of lots of disjointed um disjointed processes and that's the problem what we've got um is that no process follows each other so therefore, what you end up is, is with these big disjoints, these big disconnects and these big voids. And actually what you happen with the and what happens with the voids is there's just big holes and there's nothing to fill them. And that's the problem we've got. I mean, the media can take pictures of lots of ambulances outside of hospital, but that doesn't show the true picture. The true picture is the fact that every aspect of the NHS is struggling and you've got to work out where is your key factor. And for me, I think the key factor is the community. And and I think that area of that area of the, the system needs a lot of love and needs a lot of support and needs to be no needs to be shown that actually they are the key link and they need to be made to feel that they're the key link. So you speak about community and, and, you know, we really did see that Carl in the, in the COVID pandemic around sort of the community pulling together shops, businesses, um, starting to innovate, give people free food. Uh, we saw services innovate. So fire, uh, and indeed sometimes police were coming to, to drive the ambulances and indeed work alongside, uh, paramedics. So there was just this, almost this this disparate time of innovation which was forced upon us and they do say you know 
times of innovation occur during war and or pandemics uh, during the worst of times. And but there's this real sense of community um, restored to, to to ambulance services and indeed stations. And I think I saw that and and yourself. But I guess the enjoying a question to that would be around: Do you, do you feel like the strikes? doing what it was designed to do? Do you feel like it's it's fulfilling its function? It's a difficult one to answer that one because I don't know and I don't think any of us will know um, because currently currently nothing st- nothing's really changed. The status quo is still there. Um, and I really don't know whether it's going to make a difference or not, but to flip it, we haven't got a lot left. We haven't got a lot left in our armory, really, um, other than other than to go on strike um, nationally um, again because this is a national issue. But all people can say is they can put their hand on their heart and say, "We did what we could um, to highlight the problems. We've done what we can to show how much of a strong feeling we have around all of these subjects." Um, because we don't have many other options now, sadly. Um, and like I said before, nobody's gone out on strike with a massive smile on their face, jumping up and down, thinking, brilliant, I've just lost a day's pay, which is effectively what what, what, what happens. Um, people are going on strike with a massive sadness in their heart and a, and a huge sort of nauseating feeling in your stomach as to, it's really sad that we've got to this point, but I don't know what else to do. So Carl, just sort of pivoting slightly and looking at the psychological temperature of ambulance stations at the moment, sort of the the sense of community you spoke about before, and just, I guess, the absence of community in in real terms of normal um, business as usual, really, whereby ambulances are out 12 hours a day, so the average paramedic, uh, and or um, EMT is out do, um, attending 999 calls um, for 12 hours. Could, but could you maybe speak to what it feels like on station level at the moment within the staff groups? So for me, I, I obviously see this from two different eyes because I see it from obviously a support services point of view, but also from a, a paramedic point of view, knowing that, um, although I'm not on the road a lot anymore now, um, I still know what it feels like, um, and you can just tell by people's people's faces and people's mannerisms that everybody's just really tired. Everybody's just um, just worn out and generally fatigued, you know. Because people think if you sat if you potentially sat at hospital for three or four hours that it's a, it's a it's a it's a good laugh and it's where they want to be but actually there's a good chance they're sat there for 3 or 4 hours that means they're late off that means they've now again not seen their son or daughter go to bed and read them their bedtime story which they should have been if they were off on time um and little things like that have like a huge a huge knock-on effect to your own personal sort of well-being and health. And also, it makes you think, why do you bother? I went to university for three years to get a degree or get whatever qualification you did to become a paramedic or do whatever the role you're doing, as in, you know, ECAs um, 
or um, ambulance assistance, one of the most key fundamental players in the ambulance sector. You know, they've chosen to do this job for not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. And now they're thinking, why do we bother? Because all we do is sit at a hospital for four hours. And likewise, you know, you get newly qualified paramedics who just aren't getting exposure to lots of stuff because their 10-hour shift have spent a third of it sat at a hospital. And that's less exposure to instance to embed themselves into the role. Um, so I think there's just a general feeling of sadness at the minute that everybody's absolutely flogged um, and tired and just slightly fed up. And what you can't see is uh, a light at the end of the tunnel because the, 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 the system has been slowly, slowly breaking as a whole for a long time now. And all we can see is it carrying on breaking. Um, now, in my role, we're all about, like you suggested, Owen, is in times of hardship, you can get a lot of learning and you can you can potentially get a lot of opportunity. But the problem we've got is people just haven't got the headspace for that opportunity at the moment to make the changes, the small scale changes that could make a difference to um, to organisations. Um, and that's sad in its own right, because people really do care but they've only got so much to give. And actually, they're already giving nigh on everything they can. And there's not a lot of space left. Um, so potentially, we then lose out on opportunities that we could grasp in an improvement setting to make the changes. So, Carl, this is a difficult question to ask. I'm going to ask it anyway, but I'm fully cognizant it's it's difficult to grapple with. But... What do you foresee the midterm future uh, looking like, Carl? Do, do, do you see any remediation or indeed um, reparation of the system? Because as you said before, actually, there are systemic system issues. And if the system is fundamentally broken um, and that's interconnected systems, such as primary care, such as emergency care, such as rehabilitation care, um, and also there's disparate systems which aren't talking to each other, such as uh, from a technological level and maybe even an institution level. How how can you see, how do you see it playing out? I think the new ICB, Integrated Care Board and Integrated Care System um, model that is being utilised over here at the moment um, could be potentially the game changer if, and it's a big if, if it's embedded properly. Now, when I say embedded properly, that's a difficult phrase to use because it's really new. So therefore, nobody really knows 100% how it should be getting embedded, I don't think at the moment. Um, but long time having any services that are connected within that integrated care board all aligned through the integrated care service where everybody's at the table. So if the ambulance service makes a decision about um, a change they want to make, the people who around the table can then assess it to see if that change will have a negative or positive impact on their service line. And that's something what previously 
it, it probably has been done to a certain extent, but not to a level that was meaningful. Um, and I think that is the potential game changer if we can get everybody around the table from all the different sectors that are linked to that integrated care system to discuss and evaluate and plan um, change within that system and actually having fresh eyes outside of the care sector or the ambulance sector or the acute trust sector um, is really good because with fresh eyes you get fresh ideas and you get sort of the bias taken away. Um, so I'm I'm optimistic from that point of view. Um, in terms of the re retention of staff within the NHS, I'm feeling quite quite fearful of. Um, because like I made reference to before, the, the, the assistants who work on frontline ambulances see a lot of, they see all the stuff that paramedics see. Um, they're involved with all the incidents that paramedics see. And I've said it before, and I'll carry on saying it, within this line of work, you're only one instant from never doing the job again. Um, and that instant could have a profound effect not only on yourself, but also on your family. Um, and I don't think that's acknowledged enough within the uh, ambulance sector by by the political um, by the p p politicians as such, um, because our dynamic world that we work in is is very very dangerous for our mental health. I think, um, and I think that's been sort of well evidenced with the volume of mental health problems noted within the sector um so i'm not sure how they're going to do that the increase of pay will be a big assistance especially with all of the um financial problems that are going on within the country at the moment um you know with the recession and inflation through the roof um however that's that's really out of our hands to be honest um we can only say what we would potentially like knowing that you're probably not going to get it through um uh through discussions um but i do think there's room for improvement in terms of the finance that people are, are given for the work that they do um so yeah i think it's too i think it's two staged that question one the financial approach needs looking at but needs looking at through all parties and then you've got the actual system system approach, which I think is being looked at um, by the ICB and the ICS. But we'll just have to see how that plays out over the coming 18 months. So, Carl, could you speak to the analogy you made with the Nelson Mandela quote you made in the reflection, which is so after climbing a great hill, one finds there are many more hills to climb. And uh, I thought that was a great quote, actually, and just... Um, just goes to kind of show that um, there are um, so many hidden challenges yet yet ahead. But could you maybe just unpack that a little more? Yeah, I, I use that quote one because <clears throat> it stayed with me for a long, long time, long before I was in the the the, the healthcare setting. Um, but for me, it fits well with the current situation that we're in because. This isn't going to be a single one hit wonder solve the problem for the NHS. I think we're at a problem now where 
the whole system is teetering is teetering on the brink um and to make these wholesale changes that are going to be needed and um, i don't know what they are necessarily but every one of them changes is a hill and it's in the future um and as we look into the distance we want to see a nice potentially rosy pattern but i think we also need to be realists and actually what we're going to see is a lot of hard work um, and a lot of toil but actually because everybody's passionate about the nhs that we work in and want to see it fundamentally work people will take up the challenge if they're given the space to do it and i think this is where we're at now a massive crossroads because people know there's lots to do people know there's lots of things that need to happen but they need to have the space and the ability and the empowerment to do it because it's people on the front line it's people who are actively embedded in service lines who know what the problems are and it's them who need to be listened to so carl as we're coming to land on the conversation um are there any final thoughts you'd like to sort of lay out or unpack as we uh, as we come into close for listeners I think my, my 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 final one, final sort of thoughts is, and I, I've mentioned it before, is please don't assume that when ambulance crews go on strike, we're doing we're doing it with a happy heart, um, and please don't think that any decisions that any of us have made have been made on a whim. Um, if some of my colleagues have chosen not to strike, I fully respect that decision. And I respect it because I know they'll have had some real moral quandaries about making that decision and they won't have made it lightly. Um, likewise, that's the moral quandary I'm in about the strike that is going to be happening on the the 11th. Um, and please don't think we're just doing it just because of uh, just because the, because we want to. Um, we absolutely do not want to. I think people are at the point where they can't see anything else to do other than go on strike. Um, and like I say, I still haven't made my mind up about the next strike yet. And it's properly weighing on my mind as to what to do. Um, and I'm hoping in the next few days, the next week or so, I'll be able to have some clarity of clarity of thought and clarity of mind as to this, the decision that I need to make. Um, that will be a personal decision and it will be difficult. Carl, listen, thank you so much for your candid reflections and, and actually just insightful answers, actually, because like you said, it's um, it's also such a multifactorial picture with many different pressures and challenges. I think what we'll do, Carl, if it's OK with you, is put the uh, a link to the blog in the show notes so that people can read the blog and understand where where you have written it from your perspective and indeed the the sort of the history and background of your uh time within the nhs but i just want to say thank you for your time and reflections yeah thank you for having me i hope people uh yeah i hope people have enjoyed it or it's offered some food for thought more more than anything thanks for listening to the episode 
please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical, and performance medicine. Thanks again.